I want to talk a little bit about the book, give you guys a, a special gift, and again, thanks so much for dropping by tonight. And, oh, yeah, so i got some good speaking gigs coming up too, which I'm going to keep you guys informed about, but I'll tell you sort of the idea behind the book. Uh, it's called Essential Philosophy, and uh, I'm going to give it out, uh, and you'll, you'll get links uh, uh, at the end of this little chat. So what I really wanted to do was I got tired of, you know, when you defend the West, you defend the West. What happens? Well, there's the West of the past, there's the West of the present, which doesn't actually have a lot going for it in many ways. You know, it's really postmodernist, it's really reductionist, it's really absurdist in a lot of ways. It's anti-rational, it's identity politics, it's open borders, it's national debts, it's child exploitation, it's unfunded liabilities, it's a mess. It's a giant mess. And so I got a little tired of just trying to defend the West as it is. So you kind of have to go back in time and you have to say, okay, well, can I defend the West as it was, as it was in the past? Well, that's kind of tough because when you go back to a time when the West was more more rational, well, you're looking at the prelude to the First World War. You're looking at, you know, still racism and sexism. And I think in pretty detectable manners. And it's kind of tough. You, you can't go back and rescue the past from the past. And if it's tough to defend the present. So really what I wanted to do was in order to preserve the good parts of the West, I think we need to add to the beauty of the West. I think we need to add to the wonderful stuff that is out there. And to do that, I wanted to find a way to compress into as, as, as short and, and compact a book as possible the most important philosophical ideas and arguments that I have been working with for the past 35 years or so. 35, 36 years, 16 to 52, 36 years. Now, I was often getting questions about, you know, what, what's your argument for this? What's your argument for that? And, and what's your perspective on this, that, or the other? And Podcast 500 was the ballad of free domain radio. I won't sing the whole thing, uh, but um, one of the lines was, uh, all podcasts of note are impossible to quote. Uh, search in vain for what you think I might have said. You'll never catch the big chatty forehead. And so it's all scattered throughout the podcast. And I did about 10 years ago, maybe, no, probably 11 or 12 years ago now, I did an introduction to philosophy, which was a magnificent camera half, a microphone half hanging off my ear, 240p camera. And I think for half of them, I left the night mode on. So I look like somebody who's pretending to be a ghost hunter, which I guess I kind of am. And so I wanted to put together arguments regarding philosophy in one sort of compact book. So I wanted to start with how do we even know what is real? How do we know what is true? How do we validate the senses? How do we know we have free will? What is morality? How do we define it? Like all, I hate to say sort of soup to nuts, but this whole idea that I can try and compress the major philosophical arguments, and I don't want to say my take on them because <laughs> I, I really feel I've solved them, and put them all into one package 
that people can refer to. And then what I did at the end, I've always loved Socratic dialogues. When I was at the National Theater School, the assignment that I had was to um, dramatize Socrates' speech to Miletus and to the crowd or, or to the, the court in, in Athens. And I've always loved philosophical dialogue. So what I wanted to do was to put together some philosophical arguments in the form of a dialogue. And I haven't uh, written dialogue for a while, but I did want to do that and put that together. So the major sections of the book are epistemology, well, metaphysics, epistemology, validation of the senses, and um, the definition of ethics, like my argument for ethics, universal, secular, rational ethics is called universally preferable behavior, although I'm sure I slip up a few times and call it preferable. But universally preferable behavior, or UPB, it's, it's a big honking book, not quite slice and diced, Atlas Shrugged, but, you know, definitely something that could stop a screen door on a windy day. And that book has done well, but it has remained somewhat inaccessible because I haven't referred to it in a while, and it's kind of long. So I really wanted to compress as much as I could the argument for secular ethics down into one easy-to-digest, uh, compact slice of prose, and then, of course, include a couple of uh, dialogues regarding it so that you can see the sort of back and forth that people have about this kind of stuff. So the book took quite a while to go through. It's it's like that old Winston Churchill quote where he says, I'm sorry this letter is so long. I feel terrible I didn't have time to make it shorter, right? So trying to really work to compress all of this stuff, cut away all extraneous stuff. I have been known for the for a couple of tangents here and there. So, so I really wanted to compress all the arguments and put them out in in one format. And I decided to make the book free because I want the arguments to go out as widely as humanly possible. And, you know, you guys, maybe in this chat, maybe not, you guys donate to me. And so the idea that you would donate to me to write a book and that I would also charge for the book on top of that, you know, and I did for the art of the argument and I was pleased for that. But this one, I want to go really far and wide. I want it to be as shareable as humanly possible. So that's what I have done. I'm very, very pleased with it. So the book at the moment is in three formats. It's in Kindle, of course, uh, and it is in uh, MP3 format. And it is also, I read it on a teleprompter, which seems kind of an odd thing to do. But I decided to do it that way because what I wanted to do was to, for those who want it, who really want to focus on it, the eye contact, the facial expressions, and so on, I think are quite important. 90% of our communication is nonverbal. So you can get a certain amount from listening or, or even from reading in a text, and I will get the physical copy out at some point soon. But I really wanted to have, for those who process information better that way, to have sort of eye contact and, and gestures and, and uh, expressions and so on, which can really help get ideas across to an audience. So I have put it out that way as well. So that is the uh, general idea behind the book. And uh, I really thank everyone who has donated to make that kind of work possible. And um, let's see here. Who's, who's in the chat? Hello, hello, hello. Oh, um, well, sorry. I guess we have a, a super chat. Oh, consider this payment for the book, uh, Value for Value. Thank you very much. John Bob, 0008. And um, 
Let me know if you guys, uh, I'm getting some complaints about the audio. Is that, uh, is, is it good? Is it bad? Is it, uh, is it okay? Nobody give him a dollar. He'll freak out. Oh man, that is so funny. That is still going, right? That is still going, this one, one dollar. And the reason why that is funny to me, <laughs> the reason why that's funny to me is that the, and for those who are interested in this kind of backstory, I can't remember. It was some quite some number of years ago. I posted, I think it was on Facebook, something like somebody sent me a, a, a um, donation of $2. And I said, I don't mean to sound ungrateful, but, and I posted it. And, and people went kind of nuts, which to me was kind of interesting. It wasn't, you know, of all the controversial things that I posted, that didn't seem to me to be particularly high on the list. But uh, I then wrote this whole article, which I read as a podcast, because people were like appalled. They thought I was scorning someone for giving me two bucks. And my basic argument was, look, if somebody can only afford $2, I don't want their $2. Like, if $3 is too much, then please keep your $2. I would hate to think that someone couldn't eat or take the bus or get a half a sandwich or something. So I didn't want donations of $2 um, because... If that's all you can afford, you should not be spending your money on on a podcast. And, and much though I appreciate the sentiment, I would much rather for people who have that little money to you know send me a nice thank you note, cost you nothing to to like, subscribe, share the videos, share the ideas, share the podcasts. That's the way that you can help out the show, which is much more important than two dollars. Now, if somebody has a lot more than two dollars, but they only send me two dollars, well, what are they saying? They're saying your show's worth two bucks to me, and that's not a very positive. <laughs> message to come across and here's the thing too like I was a waiter and I remember once when I was a waiter I was at Pizza Hut and I was wrangling this absolutely insane I shouldn't laugh it was just memory it it was I was wrangling this absolutely insane children's party where there were like 30 kids you know from the ages of five to eight or whatever and they were throwing pizza and they spilled all half their drinks and uh, it just they they had they had uh, uh ice cube fights like the whole, the whole thing and what happened was at the end i wonder you know actually that the sum is the same and i just i wonder if this had something to do with it after they were there for about an hour hour and a half it was a huge amount of work oh we spilled we spilled you've got to get um napkins you you've got to mop it up and and so on and then of course when they left it was an unbelievable mess. I mean, they'd, they'd squished pizza grease and cheese into the um, fabric of the chairs, and uh, it was just, they'd stuck gum under the table. I mean, it was just a complete mess. And the tip was $2. <laughs> now, I would rather that they had not tipped me at all, because then, because then I'd just say, well, maybe they don't know if you're supposed to tip, or maybe they thought the tip was included. But the fact that they knew that they should tip and after an hour and a half of crazy work, followed by another hour of cleaning where I wasn't getting tipped from anybody else, two bucks. It means they know they should tip, but they're only going to tip two bucks. That's kind of rough. So I just really wanted to, <laughs> wanted to point that out, that um, that is uh, uh, that is going on. So let me see here. I just want to make sure I get ye oldie super chats. Uh, thank you very much. Um, what have we got here? Uh Tibbeth Full, thank you very much. Thank you for the book. Will you be coming to London to speak anytime soon? It's dangerous, yes, but not everywhere. P.S. Are you aware of J.F. Gariepi, the YouTuber who wants to chat with you? Thanks. I have not watched his response video. I have been 
heavily wrangled in getting the book ready and finished. Uh, I believe that he did a response video to my comments about Judaism uh, in my Pittsburgh video. Uh, I have not looked at it, but I'm sure that I will get round to it quite soon. I'm also preparing um, to to go to Poland, so uh, I'm quite busy at the moment, which is, you know, whatever, right? Uh, Martin Hungsinger said, I enjoyed your peaceful parenting discussion. Well, I appreciate that, and my um, my daughter had a great time doing that show with me, and uh, for those of you who haven't, uh, you should check it out. It's um, it's a great show, and we want to do more together. So, Rudin Sinjari said, keep up the great work, uh, brother. Thank you very much. And do you guys, I don't know if you're interested in this, or do you want me to respond to some of the criticisms of the Pittsburgh shooting video? Are you guys uh, interested in that? I'm just reading the comments here. Uh, if uh, uh, oh, I'll just wait for the catch-up. I guess there's some sort of delay. And uh, yes, my daughter is very sweet. Thank you very much. I am having a great day. Thank you very much. Debate JF, you fraud. You know, this is a funny thing. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because I know people are very passionate about this topic. But let me tell you something. Insult me. Ask me for a favor. Pick one. Like, I don't know what kind of freaky social circles these, like, trolls are, are moving through. And I'm, this is not, of course, the majority of the people in this conversation. But um, let me uh, just point out that if you want to insult people, you're a shill, you're a fraud, you're a gatekeeper, you're a blah, 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 right? Then don't ask, don't ask me for favors at the same time as insulting me. You know, there's there's an old saying, right? You get a, catch a lot more flies with honey than with with salt. So I just really wanted to uh, to to point out. So do I ever plan on making a peaceful parenting guide? Um, maybe a book for parents. I could use it with my newborn. Well, congratulations. I would actually. Uh, I have got a, a draft of about two thirds of a, a peaceful parenting book. The problem is that I need to do look up of the science to see where the science is these days. And uh, if that's the case, uh, that's going to take a little bit uh, more. Okay, so there's some requests to to deal with criticisms of the um, the Pittsburgh video. So I will touch on this uh, very very briefly. So the general criticism seemed to be something along the lines of, and I say seemed to be because it was quite a wide variety of criticisms, but it seemed to be something like this. So I say, if you know a tall Chinese guy, that doesn't make Chinese people tall as a whole. And so when I was talking about the Jews that I'd read who'd heavily influenced me into pursuing freedom, rationalism, objectivism, and so on, people say, oh, that's like saying that you know a tall Chinese guy. Now, that's not fundamentally my argument. And I did say in the video, for those who actually like to listen to what people say, I said, this is my personal experience. This is where I'm coming from. Now, I did say very clearly and repeatedly which if you don't want to listen, you won't hear, but I did say very repeatedly that um, I brought these ideas of freedom to non-Jewish people, right? To my Christian friends, to my agnostic friends, to my atheist friends. I brought these ideas of freedom, which I had to a large degree imbibed from Jewish thinkers, to non-Jewish friends. And I've never self-identified as as Jewish. As I've said repeatedly, I was raised a Christian and so on. So I didn't really think, oh, I'm bringing Jewish ideas to non-Jews. I just was bringing ideas that I found interesting to people around me in my life. And those people, almost to a man, almost to a woman, completely rejected the ideas of freedom. So if you want to polarize Jewish people, 
and say, well, there's terrible stuff that comes out of Jewish intellectuals. And there is. I mean, I've talked about that before. I've said that communism comes a little bit more from the Jewish tradition than from the Christian tradition. So, yes, there are Jewish philosophers and, and thinkers and writers and so on who've come up with absolutely horrible, terrible ideas, and there are Jewish thinkers and writers and philosophers who've come up with absolutely wonderful ideas. So, let's just say there are the angel Jews and there are the non-angel Jews, if you want to put it that way. And this is true of all high IQ slices of, of the population. There are people who argue for good things and people who argue for bad things. So, my issue is not saying that you compare the rational Jews with the anti-rational Jews and blah, blah, blah. My point is saying if Jews are making good arguments and Jews are making bad arguments, but people most want to listen to the bad arguments, can you really blame the Jews for that completely? Where is the self-ownership? Where is the self-responsibility? Like Ayn Rand put out Atlas Shrugged and a lot of people have taken massive lengthy dumps on Ayn Rand's work and on other freedom thinkers' works. I mean, if if they hadn't, if they had, wow, there's really great arguments here, there's really interesting stuff here, let's see if we can promote this, well, then things would have gone a different kind of way. But if you say, well, there are angel Jews and non-angel Jews, and people only want to listen to the non-angel Jews, is that the fault of the entire Jewish population? No. Who you listen to is important. And I did have a look at a bunch of the comments under that video, with, of course, a hazmat suit on, but I did have, a, and, and not one of them, not one single one of them, addressed that basic issue, that it matters who you listen to, right? If you only listen to, as a culture, if you only listen to the Jews making collectivist socialist arguments, and then your society becomes more collectivist and socialist, and there are lots of Jews making individualistic capitalistic arguments, can you just blame the Jews as a whole? Can you look in the mirror and say, well, it matters who I listen to, it matters who I promoted, it matters who I accepted. And so that's the argument, and nobody that I saw was addressing that argument, and so there wasn't really much to talk about in terms of the criticisms. So, all right. Just a man 400 says, thanks for all you do. Amazing groundwork for anyone stepping their toes in philosophy. Opened my mind to many abstract ideas. Thank you so much. James Owens, thank you very much. Very kind. In appreciation of your hard work and dependable insights. Thank you, my friend. Amon Harper says, Steph, just listen to your talk with the guy about abuses in the emergency room dealing with Medicare, Medicaid. I'm a terminal patient of the Mayo Clinic. I'd like to talk with you from a terminal patient's point of view. Ammon, absolutely. I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about your health issues. And uh, I, I, I absolutely would, would be happy to, to chat with you. And um, yeah, I've had, um, I mean, I, I did talk with um, a fellow who was uh, dying uh, some time back ago, and he has since passed away. And I actually... I did talk, and this is a, pr a private chat, I did just as a favor, but I did talk to a woman who was dying about how to talk to her kids about her death. And, and she actually lasted quite a long time, but she unfortunately has passed away. So, um, yes, if you want to chat, I will be very, very happy to talk. And, and my huge sympathies for your health issues, that is a very, very tough thing to deal with. And listen, if you're out there, and, and, and there does seem to be some significant interest in this healthcare stuff, and I'm very, I'm very fascinated by it. So if you are out there and you work in the field or you have thoughts or experiences and so on, just give me a shout. Let's talk about it because I would like for people to know how the healthcare system works before you desperately need it, right? So this is one of the problems with healthcare is that people kind of ignore how the healthcare system works until they're in desperate need of it. And then 
while they're in desperate need of it, and therefore they're not really in a position to criticize it too much. And so I think it's important that we have these conversations before, um, well, well, in, in non-emergency situations. Gypsy Freedom says, podcast with Izzy was incredible. I grinned the entire time. She is so intelligent. I look forward to more from you both. Well, thank you very much. That is uh, very, uh, uh, very kind. I appreciate that very much. Rutan Sinjari says, I just liked hearing you say my name. Hope to meet you in person someday. I never had the chance to meet Ayn Rand, so I'd like to meet the Ayn Rand of today. Oh, dude, that is very, very high, high praise. I appreciate that. And uh, if you have um, conversations or if you have questions, philosophical questions or anything like that uh, in, the, um, in the chat, I would be uh, very happy to, uh, uh, to, to listen and to answer you, uh, answer you regarding that. JF dismantled you handily, Stefan. Okay, <laughs> not an argument. Um, so somebody says here, um, I can't pay for Kindle, so is there no other way to get your book? Well, this is the gift. Don't worry, my friend. If you can't pay Kindle, is there no other way? Yes, you can get the book. Um, it's going to be available in MP3. It's going to be available on, on YouTube. Uh, boy, let me tell you, that was quite an upload. <laughs> and um, uh, uh, someone says here, I'm finding it more difficult daily to be less cynical about the future. What keeps you going? Ah, cynicism is what happens when you give up on a sense of efficacy. And cynicism can actually be helpful in helping you avoid wasting your time, your effort, your energy on things that you can't affect in a positive manner. So cynicism is fine. What I would say is I have a lot of effect in the world. I mean, I don't have the highest view count uh, on, on the planet, of course, but to me, it's always been a matter of quality, not quantity. And so I uh, have um, uh, I have a lot of influence in the world. So I'm enthusiastic because I can do things that matter and, and change things that are important. If you're not in that kind of position or you're not building your way toward that kind of position, then you need to hoard your energies for that which you can affect. Do not, you know, if, if you want a cloud to go away, you kind of just have to be patient, right? There's no point screaming at it or shooting arrows at it or anything like that or trying to redefine it as sunlight. So hoard your energies, hoard your personal power for that which you can affect. And that's why I keep telling people over and over again, philosophy, the, 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 the tagline for the show has always been the logic of personal and political liberty. The personal liberty comes first. The personal liberty comes first. You can affect things in your relationships. You can affect things in terms of sharing videos or books or podcasts or names or whatever it is that you can do. You can control things within or influence things certainly within your community environment if you're part of a church or a philosophy club or whatever it is if you're in politics you can affect you can go door to door you can i can't believe i'm saying this stuff <laughs> given what i said 12 years ago but uh, i guess we must evolve with the times but you can do a lot to affect the world around you if you don't have a sort of bigger span you know like like tucker carlson or you know the big wigs like that or the sort of medium wigs like myself then this, the best way to become cynical is to continue to try and affect things that you can't change. And that is a very bad 
thing to do in the long run. And so when you run up against something that you can't change, you need to withdraw your energies and find something. Maybe you can work your way up to it or whatever, but you need to find a way of doing that. So what keeps me going is I am really focused on on things that I can change. And because of that, I think that it keeps me uh, enthusiastic. All right. Let's see here. How were your parents like, Stefan? Well, I've talked about this before, but my parents uh, split up when I was a baby. I don't remember my father ever being around. Uh, my father uh, was a geologist, um, still practices, I think, and he moved to South Africa because there's not a lot of gold deposits in the sod in the United Kingdom or Southern Ireland or anything. So he went to Africa, and I would see him probably every couple of years, maybe. And my mother uh, was um, uh, very high-strung and, and violent and aggressive and abusive and so on, and uh, a real handful. And so when it comes to wrestling the craziness of the world, I always every day have to look in the mirror and say, am I just doing this over and over again? Is this the childhood writ large? But uh, I have more of an effect and an independence here as well. So uh, my parents were not ideal, I think is the way is the way to put it. Somebody asks, do you think an immoral action can ever be justified if it's believed to stop another immoral action. Well, that's interesting because that's begging the question. So if you're stopping another immoral action, then you can argue that the action is moral to begin with. So let's take an example. You, you can't go to the mall and just tackle people. Trust me, I, well, unless they're your daughter. But you can't go to the mall and just tackle people, right? Because that's assault or whatever. But if somebody's, you know, got headphones on and they're just about to walk into a road and there's a bus coming that's going to cream them, then you can tackle them to prevent them if that's the only way you can prevent them. Now, in this case, you would not have any luck prosecuting somebody who tackled you in order to save you from walking into traffic. Like there's just no jury that would would, would uh, find that the tackler guilty and there's nobody who would take the case and there's nobody who would even file charges and so on. And so... Tackling people is bad unless you're saving them from walking into a bus or it's in other in another socially sanctioned or sports sanctioned kind of thing. Like if you're playing rugby or football, you're going to get tackled and it's not assault, right? It's like boxing. Oh, he hit me. It's assault. So uh, an example, oh, this is going back at least 11 years. There was um, somebody who, who wrote the question, if you're hanging from a flagpole and, and it's like 10 stories down, and, you know, your grip is loosening and you can't climb up your... Then can you kick in the window of somebody's apartment and climb through in order to save yourself? And it's kind of one of these trick questions. It's like the guy whose wife is dying. Can he steal from the pharmacist if he can't afford to buy the um, the medicine? And so if you say yes, then you say, okay, well, property rights are less important than human rights. Therefore, the welfare state is good, right? Because the welfare state is a violation of property rights, but... Uh, it's it's good, right? So that's the sort of argument there. Now, uh, first of all, is it a violation of property rights to kick in someone's window to save your life? Well, no, because again, there's no. Well, first of all, you can you could let's say that you crash into someone's house, right? Or, or I guess this would be an apartment. You crash into someone's apartment after kicking in their window. And you say, oh, thank you, I'm so sorry, I, I, I just, I slipped off the roof, I was hanging from a flagpole, I was going to fall to my death, I had to kick in the window, um, and 
I'm I'm so sorry. Listen, I I'm gonna pay for the damages and and I'm gonna make everything right and and I I hugely appreciate it and I'm sorry again for the inconvenience. No one's gonna press charges. No one's gonna press charges. No one is going to file charges. No one, no jury is gonna convict you. And and I tell you this: if I'm sitting there in an apartment and someone decides to let go of the flagpole and fall to his death rather than kick in my window, I'd actually be really angry at that person. Like, how, how dare you leave me with this horrible trauma of, why didn't you kick in my window? I would assume then that the person just wants to kill themselves, right? That they, they jumped off the roof to kill themselves, they're hanging from the flagpole, and they just wanted to die, so they left this morally perfect stain on the sidewalk. So it's not a violation of property rights, because a violation of property rights has to occur when the person experiences them as a violation of property rights. It's not some abstract thing. Like if you come into my house and steal my fridge, that's a violation of property rights because I like the fridge. I I want my fridge and I don't want you to take it. If I take the door off an old fridge and I leave it on the front lawn saying, you know, still works, take it if you want, and, and then you take my fridge, well, you're coming onto my property and you're taking my property, but I don't have any problem with it, right? I mean, you've probably been at places where there's um, a garage sale and there's like a box of just, you know, take it for free or whatever. I remember buying John Anderson's great album, Animotion, Animation, uh, for 50 cents. It's a good deal. Boy, you want to hear a great song? Song of Seven is very good from John Anderson. Uh, Hurry Home, the original version, um, beautifully sung. Uh, the guy's got the voice of an angel almost, almost literally, but... If you've gone to a, a garage sale and you see this, there's a box of like free stuff, right? Well, you can take it. You're on their property, you're taking their property, but they have no problem with it. Violations of property occur when the person, it doesn't occur when you take something. It doesn't occur when you take something. It occurs when you don't want your thing to be taken. So I want, if someone's hanging out, listen, this is a note to everyone out there. If I'm ever in an apartment, or a hotel, and you're hanging outside a flagpole, and you're thinking of kicking in my window to save your life, please kick in the window and save your life. Because I'd feel pretty terrible if you fell to your death. That would be a horrible thing to to experience and to see. So it's not a violation of property rights to break someone's window regarding the guy who's ill. Uh, his, his wife's ill, and there's some medicine, costs $10,000. He can't afford it. Can he steal from the pharmacist and it's like well why is stealing the only option in that situation like because of free will why why does he have to steal why can't he borrow the money why why can't he get a loan uh, from a bank or, or why can't he get relatives or why can't he set up a GoFundMe or why can't he, right because if his I mean his wife is going to live that's productive even just in a base economic sense right so um, he's going to be able to do it or why can't he offer to uh, work for the pharmacist or why can't whatever you you understand right i mean or let's say the pharmacist hates him and won't sell it to him well just hire some stranger to go buy it i mean it's not that complicated right it's all voluntary so what they do is they put you in this situation where you assume that human life is worth more than property rights and therefore what happens is you then say well then taxation is good and the welfare state is good because human life matters more than property rights. So the other thing, too, is that there's a softer side to these kinds of moral issues as well, which people don't usually talk about. It's very, very real. 
if you're a pharmacist and you won't sell medicine to somebody who's dying who just can't afford it without finding some way for them to pay for it, you're going to get a lot of bad publicity. You're going to get a lot of bad press. And what happens then is it's really not worth it to you. It's really not worth it to you to do that because then you'll be like the cold-hearted Scrooge pharmacist who won't sell the medicine and so on and, and won't find a way to sell the medicine and won't take a payment plan and won't have the guy babysit your kids or walk your dogs for five years or whatever, right? Anyway, so I just wanted to point that out. This is, um, it's a kind of trick and it's just designed to, um, to get you to give up property rights. All right. Uh, so you want to privatize water. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, all right. All right, so what have we got here? Uh, oh, Stefan really is my favorite tuber. Sometimes I go to sleep putting on his vids that mellow, cunning talk rocks me to sleep. You know, it's funny. So I had to go down. Remember, I had a tooth out recently. <laughs> Let me tell you, I will not get into all the details, but having a tooth taken out of your upper jaw, especially when it's ankylosed, it's, it's bound into the, the bone. It's like, it's a pretty big freaking deal, you know? You know, just think it's a yank and so on, but it's a pretty big freaking deal. So I was driving down to have my checkup. Uh, I had it out, I guess, a month ago. I was driving down to have my checkup, and I did a podcast in the car, which I haven't done for a long time. It's kind of a different world in the car. It is it is a lot more mellow, and it's a lot more contemplative and so on. And I was thinking of actually trying to reproduce that more in this uh, video, because in the video, I'm more animated and, and more up and so on. And I wonder if it would be like, it's a little nerve-wracking for me to be that low-key in a video because I feel like I need to show the show. Anyway, uh, let's see here. Stefan, your thoughts transitioning to a voter transparency, sorry, a voter transparency-based constitutional democracy, not an absolute democracy, as opposed to a constitutional republic. Is it not the best option now? I don't know because I don't know these terms well enough to explain it, so... Can you define time without using circular reasoning? So time is that space between the C and the question mark in your question. Do you think the U.S. will eventually go full socialist? It seems everything always ends up that way. Well, no, because this is a very passive way of looking at things. So again, if, if, if you don't have any hand on the rudder of your society, and remember, it's, 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 it's so local. You know, that there's that environmental movement that says, think globally, act locally, like think in terms of the big environmental impact of what you do in the world, and then switch off lights, or don't drive somewhere if you don't really need to, or whatever it is, right? So, if you are thinking about the long-term full socialist, blah de blah blah then you're thinking about things you can't affect. I don't think about whether the U.S. is going to go full socialist because I'm putting all of my efforts into avoiding that outcome that fate so if you're trying to affect something then being asked whether you think it's inevitable is a contradiction so you understand like what i'm talking about here right like if you're driving to las vegas and i say do you think it's possible or do you think it's inevitable that we might end up in las vegas and you'd be like well what are you talking about i'm I'm driving to Las Vegas, so or or if I'm you're driving to Las Vegas, say, is it possible that we're going to end up in Albuquerque? And it's like, well, no, because we're driving to Las Vegas. So if you're looking at something and you're concerned about inevitability, it means that you're trying to apply your will to something you can't affect, and you need to withdraw that because your will is going to burn out. Uh, you know, trying to affect 
things that you can't affect is like trying to win a Formula 500 race in first gear. Like you just can't do it. Just burn the motor out, right? So you have to make sure that where your wheels of, of will are in motion, that they've got traction on the ground. So don't uh, talk about inevitabilities just because... <laughs> Truck my ad says, my first super chat to a legend. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, let me just see. I want to make sure I didn't uh, miss. Uh, oh, there's a lot of movies I want to go and see at the moment, but uh, I'm kind of busy. <laughs> I'm afraid so. Uh, it's, uh, been a, it's been a challenge uh, to, I, of course, I want to go see Bohemian Rhapsody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Jesse D says, at what point does racism occur? when it happens to a white person as an aside is that racism ever justified so well if 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 don lemon's talking about you um yeah that's mostly when it seems to occur so jesse lee peterson who's who's well worth reading and thinking and about and and following jesse lee peterson has i'm going to paraphrase this argument and i hope i get it mostly right but jesse lee peterson has an argument he says there's no such thing as racism people don't judge racist they judge behavior they judge behavior. So just think of something that's less consequential when somebody walks into the room, right? So let's say you're walking down the street. I just switched environments. No, let's start with the room. Start with the room. So let's say that you're in a room and somebody walks in and they have brown hair as opposed to black hair, or they have light brown hair as opposed to dark brown hair. Can you jump to any conclusions or might you come to any conclusions about how that person's going to behave? Probably not. Let's say that two 45-year-old men walk into the room. One has thick hair. Another one has thinning hair. Is that going to give you any particular sense of how they're going to behave? Well, of course, the thick-haired guy is going to be a shallow player, he says, out of, actually, I don't really feel envious about it. I guess I used to. But So he says we basically just judge behavior. And so there's, I think it was Jesse Jackson who said years ago that he finds it extraordinarily tragic that after so many years of working on race relations, if he's walking down the street, he hears footsteps behind him, he turns around and he sees black kids as opposed to white kids, he's much more nervous. And that's because statistically, you're more likely to experience crimes at the hands of a black person than you are from an East Asian person or from a South Asian person or from a white person and so on. So he says, we don't really judge races. We judge behaviors. And if the behaviors are different between the races, that is going to have an effect on how we behave uh, or, or how we perceive particular people. And so that's a very interesting thesis. And I think it's well worth mulling that I would love it if skin color or racial characteristics were as inconsequential a marker of behavior as eye color or hair color. Like if you see a blue-eyed person and you see a brown-eyed person, do you really think that they're going to be... Like there's some some white person, they've got red hair, they've got brown hair, you don't think anything particularly different. They've got green eyes, they've got blue eyes, they've got brown eyes, you don't think anything particularly different. But that's because those characteristics, at least to my knowledge, are not associated with differences in behaviors. But if overall racial characteristics are associated with difference, overall differences in behavior, again, you can't um, judge individuals by any of these standards, but as a whole, 
they do indicate differences in behavior or at least different likelihoods of different behavior. And I made this argument many, many years ago that if you are, uh, it's like one o'clock in the morning, you've got to take the last bus home and you're walking towards a bus stop and there's a light over the bus stop and you see some white kid with spiky hair, swastikas on his forehead, you know, sniffing glue and, and looking all kinds of restless and crazy, you're going to feel nervous, right? Because those are the markers of potentially problematic situations. On the other hand, if you see a, a, a black guy in a three-piece suit reading a computer magazine, you're going to be fine. <laughs> you're going to look at that and say, I'm actually really glad the black guy's there, right? So what are the markers and what are the behaviors that differ between the races? And it is one of these horrible things that, you know, it's, it's easy to defeat the left. You just have to talk, look at what they desperately don't want you to talk about and then just talk about that, right? Which is one of the reasons I talk about race and IQ and all these kinds of things. But the left or the Democrats or whoever, they say, well, you should never judge any group as different. But the whole point of them importing the third world is because they know the third world is overwhelmingly going to vote for the left, Right. So if you say, like, if you're not, if you're an anti leftist, then you're going to have a problem with third world immigration because it's going directly, in general, it's going directly against your own self interest. And it can be very, very serious self interest. What's the old saying? Like, the worst part of socialism is when they finally get to power and they kill everyone with glasses on because, well, you know, right? And so if the left is, if the escalation of leftist power is very dangerous for people, then the importation of third world people who vote overwhelmingly for the left is a very dangerous situation. And so the left says, well, you shouldn't judge any group differently, but the only reason they're importing from the third world rather than from South Africa, whites from South Africa say, it's because they know that people from the third world are overwhelmingly going to vote for the left. They know that Hispanics are overwhelmingly going to vote for the left. And, you know, we'll see how Blexit works out, but uh, we'll, overwhelmingly, blacks vote for the left. So... If you're anti-leftist, you're going to have problems with these groups. Like, that's just statistics. It's just a fact. And so it's just hilarious and tragic and gruesome that the left says, don't judge groups in aggregate when they are relying upon the aggregate behavior of those groups in order to maintain themselves in power. So uh, I hope that uh, helps. Um, Productions End says, I am a clinician being mandated to take Harvard implicit bias test. I feel this is not... A beneficial use of time or resources. How would you approach conveying this to upper management without being locked, without being looked at in a negative light? Well, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I mean, that would be my particular take on it. Is um, it, it may be a very good idea to chicken out in that kind of uh, situation, right? Because. It may not be the choice of upper management. It may be simply required by diversity mandates or required for grants or required for access to federal business possibilities or contracts and so on. So it may just be something that they have to do from a mandated standpoint or a business opportunity standpoint or a legal standpoint. Uh, and, and one of the reasons why um, diversity training is so common is because if somebody 
let's say some black guy gets fired and then he files some human rights complaint against you and so on. If you've never done any diversity training, then it probably, I'm no lawyer, but I would imagine that that does not help your case in particular. Whereas if you've had a lot of diversity training, you can say, hey man, you know, we did the diversity training and we've got all these certificates and, you know, everybody signed off. So, you know, we did our part. If there's some racist who made it through, you know, we did everything we could to prevent those racists from getting through and all that. So it may be just one of these things like, you know, it's not right, it's not fair, it's not productive, but from a business standpoint and a legal standpoint and a diversity mandate standpoint, they just may not have a lot of choice about that. So again, try not to do things wherein you really can't uh, win. <laughs> so I hope that, I hope that helps. All right. Louis Body Bear. Interesting. Um, says, you are one of my favorite humans. Thank you for the essential philosophy I just put on my fire tablet. Okay, so we'll get to a couple of the gifts. I'll, I'll throw these in, uh, and hopefully this will uh, will help. Um, let me just see here. So, yeah, a couple of gifts. So uh, tonight at midnight, and I'm... Tonight at midnight, unfortunately you can't choose the time, but tonight at midnight, my friends, you will be able to get the Kindle for free. So... Um, sorry, I should probably mention that before. Hey, I don't mind if you buy it. But tonight, you will be able to get the Kindle for free. And uh, I'm very excited about that. And um, I think that's going to be very cool indeed. And let me just be uh, uh, wicked, wicked smart, wicked smart, and uh, get the links for you, because I want to give you the links to... The audiobook, which is in MP3 format, and also to the uh, video, because I know it's it's over seven hours, but I tell you something, it's pretty cool to um, be able to get philosophy in the eyeball sense in the in the in that way. So let me just um, I had to switch computers because I mean uh, <laughs> just about everything that could go wrong went wrong with the uh, launch tonight, but eh, we, we can be patient. Uh, and uh, uh, this is one of these, um, ah, here we go. Okay, so I'm going to throw some links in here and feel free to share them. The first link, which I'm going to throw in, is a link to the video of the audiobook. So let me just uh, throw this in here. Um, I guess if you are, yeah, if you are on audio, only here, like if you're listening to this later, then um, uh, I guess you'll just have to uh, look on the, I'll, I'll put the links on the video here, but uh, let's go here. All right, I just threw that in. That is um, uh, that is the uh, link to the video, and let me get also the link to the audio. Uh, I'm going to, this is the SoundCloud link. I'm not sure whether I'm going to put it in the podcast feed or not. I generally haven't done that for books, but you can uh, check that out. I don't know. Is that worth saying? Yeah. Okay. So soundcloud.com forward slash Stefan dash Molyneux forward slash essential dash philosophy. So that's soundcloud.com forward slash Stefan dash Molyneux forward slash essential dash philosophy. And 
youtube.com forward slash six lowercase e uppercase g g g lowercase w r uppercase x k u i <laughs> so uh, i hope that you guys will uh, enjoy those uh, that that book i'm very uh, very pleased no the video is up uh the video is up at the moment and let's see here oh a couple more of these uh Somebody says, um, David White uh, says, just because we ask the question free will does not prove that we have free will. One, organic experience. Two, sense is trick. Three, no person is same. Yeah, that's not very much of an argument, I'm afraid, my friend. But um, have a look. Uh, I have, you know, for those who haven't been around the show long term, I have done a lot of work on determinism. (laughs) A lot of work. On determinism, and it's funny because that used to be something that drove people absolutely insane way back in the show, way back in the day. Some guy came along and some troll came along and was talking about determinism and then something to do with hookers and blow and all that. And wow, it really got everyone up and running. Determinism is one of these topics that really gets people churning and yearning and burning and... I have argued six million different ways from Sunday regarding determinism. And so, again, I've taken all of those arguments and compressed them in, in a giant, I guess, Sam Harris antidote, so that you can uh, evaluate these arguments. And uh, hopefully this will liberate you from any delusions you might have about the reality and efficacy of free will. So I hope that helps. And let's do a couple more questions. Uh, your time zone, see exit, Canada exit, and thank you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that means. Jean-Francois Gariepi. And uh, that would be an epic conversation. Again, I it probably won't happen until I get back from Poland. Um, yeah, so somebody who wants to know about Poland, so I am uh, um, going to go to uh, Poland to uh, interview some folks, to do some... Uh, work and also to be there for the hundredth anniversary of a country that is really quite uh, quite something. I'm really looking forward to it, and uh, it's going to be great to uh, get out there. I really, really did enjoy being out of the studio with Lauren in Newfoundland. Uh, sorry, in <laughs> Newfoundland, in uh, uh, New Zealand, and in Australia. So, so out of cave says I work in an ICU. That's intensive care unit. I assume. I wish more people knew about advanced directives. Untold millions are spent per year on futile care, making some patients' deaths long, messy, and miserable rather than peaceful. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a tough call, man. I tell you, it's a tough call. Life at any price, extension of life at any price, saving people no matter what. You know, if they don't have a straight-up DNR, like a do not, not resuscitate, there is, you know, it's easy to say because I'm still chugging along in relatively limber middle age, but... I guess, you know, do you have these thoughts? Let me know in the chat. Do you have these kinds of thoughts? Have you ever worked on a living will? What level of functionality are you willing to live with when you get old? Are you willing to live being being brain dead, being in a vegetative state, having no particular neofrontal cortex activity? Are you willing, like, what are you willing to live with? It's a big question. To me, 
almost everything that could happen physically I could live with. But if stuff really happened mentally, ah, it's pretty rough. I mean, we are our brains fundamentally. The bodies are more or less interchangeable, but we are our brains. And if something happens wherein I don't have my mind, it's really tough to imagine. Because when when you take resource calculations away, everything becomes a wish list. And any attempt to impose rational restraints or restrictions on resource expenditure is perceived as just mean. That's the problem. One of the problems with the whole migrant crisis thing is nobody's being sent a bill. It's mostly being funded through debt or through inflation. And so nobody's being sent a bill. So if you have infinite resources, it's sort of like saying, well, they should be able to breathe air too. And I said, no, no, they shouldn't be able to breathe air. It's like, well, that's just mean. Of course they should be able to breathe air, right? Because air is you know, virtually a free and infinite resource. Fiat air, I think they call it. But if nobody's been sent any bills, then how can people make rational calculation decisions on the value of what's being spent? So in your life, I think the statistic is something like this. About half of your entire life's healthcare costs are going to accumulate in the last six months of your life. Now, of course, you don't know if it's the last six months and so on, but I don't know. I don't know. I I know a guy got a knee replacement surgery, and he was in pain for for many years with his knees. He had a volleyball injury. So he was in pain for many years with his knees, and he kept asking for knee surgery, and they said, well, the knee surgery, the knee's only going to last about 15 years, so let's just wait till you're 70, because then you'll probably be dead statistically you'll be dead when the knee runs out so whereas if we give it to you when you're 60 you're going to need it again when you're like 75 or whatever you got another 10 years or whatever it is right so it's it's a tough call and again it's easy again i'm 52 right so i mean that seems i'm sure old to some of you but you know relative to 70 or even 60 it's still relatively spry i'm very little that i can't do now that i could do in the past but if I, if I lose my capacity to reason, if I lose, by the way, this is not a living will, this is just me, just, you know, no evidence here, it's just me thinking aloud. But if I lose my capacity to reason, if I lose my memories, if I lose my identity, if I can't recognize the people around me, and it costs $5,000 a month to keep me going, it's a tough call. It's a tough call. Now, if you have infinite resources, then yeah, just pour it into everyone. But we don't have infinite resources in healthcare. We don't have infinite resources. And the best way to run out of resources is to pretend that they're infinite, right? The best way to run out of food over the winter is to pretend that you have more than enough food to last the winter. You just like the inexhaustible source of food means that you eat too much and then you run out of food. So pretending that there aren't limited resources is the best way to run out of resources that I know of. And so when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to the migrants, when it comes to welfare, when it comes to old age pensions... Everyone assumes that the resources are just vaguely infinite, and therefore anyone who wants to deprive other people of access to these infinite resources, they just look mean, right? They just look mean. And, uh, of course, that's part of the crazy delusions that are brought about by the um, the welfare state uh, and fiat currency and all these kinds of things, right? If you don't have the fiat currency, then you actually do have to start to marshal and manage your resources. And in a society as a whole, 
If you pour a huge amount of resources into healthcare for the elderly, you have fewer resources for healthcare for the young. Now, from a cold-eyed calculation standpoint, is it better to extend the life of an 85-year-old by a year, or is it better to save a child from a fatal illness? Again, we don't we don't have to ask these tough questions because we have this fantasy of infinite resources. Just do both. Why don't we do everything? It's like, because then we're going to run out. So I hope that helps. All right. Somebody says here, and, and the reason I'm saying somebody is if you don't do a super chat, I'm not going to do your username. Not, not out of any stinginess. I just don't know if you want that. And I know that the standard is for super chats. So use, use, use the name. Somebody says, I invest in real estate in low-income areas. Many of my tenants are government-subsidized, and this clashes with my free market slash small government mindset. Am I being intellectually dishonest? I struggle with this. Well, first of all, I admire the struggle. I mean, these are, these are tough questions, and we all have to wrestle with this kind of stuff. And I'm going to pillage the great, oh, Jewish but married to a Christian, Murray Rothbard. And he had an argument that went something like this. Look, if it's a service that would be provided in the free market, it's fine. If it's not a service that would be provided in the free market, maybe not. So there's a difference between what you're doing, like in the free market, there will be investment in real estate that will serve poor people or people on charity or whatever it is, right? So you're doing something that would happen in the free market anyway, so I wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't worry about that so much. But what I would say is that Maybe what you could do is set up some educational courses for the people who are poor. You know, bring in somebody who can talk about personal finances or birth control or, you know, whatever it is, right? So there may be things that you could do with some of your profits that gives you some real access to people who are poorer and can help them make better decisions. So that's one possibility, but I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, But again, I appreciate the moral sensitivity of asking that question. Okay, Darren Bublitz says, philosophy is a lonely word these days. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I can squint to that. Oh, yeah, we're good. Denal132 says, I appreciate the love for Poland. It has been an econ- historically libertarian in comparison to other European nations. Keep up your critical work, Steph. I'm, I'm fascinated by Polish history. I really, and my first name is, is Polish, I believe. It's Stefan with an F, of course. And... I really want to, let me tell you one of the things I really, really want to do. I want to interview people who were fighting the communists in the post-Second World War period. And those people are getting kind of old. And I'm concerned that they're going to go over the waterfall of mortality and we're going to lose their stories. So I really do want to interview people who remember what it's like to fight tooth and nail against the communists. Because we all know about the sort of French resistance fighters fighting against the Nazis and, and so on in France. But I don't think, of course, because there's so much, so many lefties in, in the media, it's hard to get the kinds of stories about fighting against the communists. But we really, really do need those stories. So I'm hopefully going to do that. Uh, hey, Steph, says Ben, were you aware that Dungeons and Dragons is now run by the far left? And would you consider a D&D talk with Sargon of Akkad, who plays it? Yeah, I think I remember seeing, doesn't he broadcast... I was actually thinking, um, <laughs> tell me what you guys think. Uh, I, I would consider it. Um, I like Sargon, uh, and um, I, I certainly would consider it. I was actually, I've had a, I can't even tell you, it's it's interesting how many requests I've had to run a Dungeons Dragons campaign and have the video running while I do it. I am a blast as a dungeon master, and um, 
uh, I, I ring it for all the drama and comedy I can possibly uh, do. Now, what I play with my daughter is a somewhat derivative version of Dungeons and Dragons. So I guess my concern is that I would be, um, well, I would be doing Dungeons and Dragons, but it wouldn't be exactly the same as all the rule books and so on. And so my concern would be, and this may sound a little, you know, snowflakey, but my concern would be that people would be like, ah, oh, that's not the rules. That's not the hit dice of the monster. That's, you know, and I just take the fun out of things like that. So, and I didn't know that Dungeons and Dragons was run by the far left. Although I guess what you can say reasonably is that, you know, everything that's not explicitly dedicated to the right will end up on the left. So it's not too shocking. Andrew J says, hey, Steph, will you consider having a conversation on Christianity and philosophy with Jay Dyer? I would love to see two great minds discussing high-level philosophical ideals. Thank you. Uh, you can get my uh, email from the website. Please send it in. I will make a note, a mental note, Jay Dyer. But uh, yeah, please let me know. I, I'm enjoying talking with theologians. And once again, I feel uh, both uh, shame and, and uh, respect for... Uh, well, I feel shame about how I uh, dealt with Christianity in the past, uh, far too aggressive and uh, um, not only insensitive, but anti-sensitive regarding the value which I inherited from Christianity. Having been raised as a Christian, I had very powerful instructions in morality, very deep and powerful questions about reality, and uh, I guess I denied my intellectual fatherland for the sake of a presumed independence that uh, drew me into the circles of atheism until I went, wow, <laughs> these fedora-wearing people will be the death of the West. Not all. Not all. Henry Sweeney says, um, oh, sends in a, 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 some support. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let us... Yeah, it's so funny, too. All the people who got mad at, at me about the... Um, the uh, Pittsburgh video, uh, the, the, the Jewish stuff, right? They got really, really mad at me. I, yeah, again, I just really want to point out that if you want someone to change his mind, if you want someone to review new information, you know, screaming at them in all caps that they're the worst human being that, that could possibly be imagined, it doesn't work. I mean, I guess maybe it would work with people who are fragile or scared or compliant. It doesn't work with me. Like, it doesn't work with me. And it's a shame because, you know, there may be people who have really good arguments, really good ideas, really good facts, but I don't care because they're abusive. So I'm just not going <laughs> to, I'm just not going to listen to them. So uh, that's, you know, if you have things that you want to get across to people and you are, if your ideas, particularly if your ideas are challenging, you know, I mean, like I went on the, the Dave uh, Rubens show, you know, um, <laughs> I knew that was going to be kind of a bungee in, bungee out kind of situation, but I went on the Dave Rubin show and, you know, he grilled me about all the tough stuff to do with, you know, family separation, to do with uh, voluntary relationships, to do with race and IQ and so on. And, you know, if I just screamed at him that he was, and I don't think he is, but if I had just screamed at him, he's just some gatekeeping shill. And, you know, I, I, hundreds of thousands, what is it? I think I, I've got a very big show on his a channel, um, last time I looked, which is a while ago, I think it was well north of 800,000 people, had seen the video, at least one of the videos, on race and IQ. Would I have had that opportunity if I had just been screaming at people, abusing people? Come on. If you care about your ideas, care about them enough to bring them to the world in a palatable manner, in a manner that interests people, in a manner that 
motivates people to want to learn more. And if you're just screaming and throwing F-bombs and throwing vitriol at people, all I know is you don't really care about your ideas. Because if you care about your ideas, then you bring them to the world in a way that's palatable. You bring them to the world in a way that motivates people to learn more. And you bring them to the world in a way that makes people enthusiastic to pursue those ideas of their own accord. And if all you do is just log in and and scream abuse at people and call them names, just tells me that you don't care about your ideas, that you're just emotionally venting. And Jewish higher IQ is a real thing. I mean, I've talked about it for for years on the show. It's it's a real thing. I mean, I know there's some disagreement about the extent uh, and and the center. And, you know, is there Jewish in-group preference? Yeah, of course there is. Of course there is. And... If I say that there's no such thing as superiority or inferiority when it comes to IQ between ethnicities, between races, and so on, I mean it. I'm not just kidding about that. I mean it. And if we say, well, whites economically do better than Hispanics because whites have an IQ 10 to 12 points higher and so on, well, that's a fact. It doesn't mean that whites are evil. It just means whites are going to do better in a free market situation based upon meritocracy because of higher IQ. And then East Asians are going to do better than whites and Jews are going to do better than East Asians in many ways. So the fact that whites do better than Hispanics doesn't make whites evil. And the fact that Jews do better than East Asians doesn't make Jews evil. Okay, I can't just flip the whole paradigm at the top of the IQ ladder, just, anyway, so, oh, is SoundCloud still processing? (laughs) Now that's what I call a lengthy MP3. All right. Um, uh, Crystal Clear says, I was a caller in last year and sent you a follow-up email with headline, a thank you for all your help. I know email is probably the last thing in your mind, but if you could please read it, I would really love that. Uh, Don't give me another donation, but do you mean read it personally or read it on the show? Um, thank you, by the way. I really, really appreciate it. It's very kind. And I, I'm sorry for those who are, you know, I, I will, I'm still figuring out the whole call-in show stuff. I, I, I've just been really, really busy. Getting the book out has been very important to me. I have been doing some calls with listeners from time to time. It's not at the same volume, but um, I have been doing some. And I've got some really, really great ones coming out. There's one... Uh, I did with a woman who's an ex-feminist. is very, very powerful. And so uh, I appreciate that. I do do read the emails, and uh, um, I appreciate your very kind uh, support and thoughts about that. All right. Uh, Stoj says, where are your references to the Australian tour talk and Aboriginal culture? Thanks for signing my RTR book in Melbourne. Yes, sorry. Um, so for those who don't know, I guess it was a little over a month ago. We got hit with massive distributed denial of service attacks. Took down the whole website, uh, took down the donation page, freedomainradio.com slash donate. And one of the uh, problems was that the message board, which we ran and had been running for many years, was a weak point. Uh, It was an entry point for the DDoS attack to come in. And so we shut down the message board. The message board had a lot of references for the older videos, we still have them, and I am working with a web designer on a um, an updated and 
brand spanky new version of the website and so they will come back and i'm sorry for that but um we kind of had to roll with things and i don't really want to create a new a whole new place for references when we're just about to redo the whole website so that won't be too too long i hope and it will come back and thank you very much for coming to see uh in melbourne uh, Daniel Furtado says, hey, Steph, what's the age of your daughter? Do you plan to make a series about peaceful parenting with her? Uh, she's nine years old, and she loved doing the show, and she loved um, uh, me reading some of the responses to her. Of course, I filtered them, although they were very kind for the most part. So, yes, uh, I do. So, it's interesting because one of the criticisms that comes in with regards to me and peaceful parenting, and it's a very interesting criticism, is so many years ago when we were toilet training my daughter, I would give her a Skittle when she did it successfully, right? And and people were like, ah, oh, you're just, you're training her like a dog, you know, you're going to give her eating issues and, and so on, right? And so, uh, so in the show, I mentioned that sometimes if I'm intending on doing something quick technically, but it turns out to be long and messy and complicated technically, then I will come up and I apologize because my daughter's been waiting. And I say, you know, here, have a little square of chocolate. I'll have one too because I just did a lot of work. And and then, oh, you're going to give her eating disorders and you know, you're rewarding her and bribing her and blah, 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 right? And I, I get all of that. And so we were chatting about that. And she really wants to do a show talking about that. And um, I'm curious what she has to say. I know some of it. But uh, she's got some very interesting things to say about that whole question of incentives and rewards and so on. So... Um, yes, I would love to do more, and uh, uh, um, she's a huge amount of fun to do shows with, and um, not just a huge amount of fun in general. So, yes, that certainly is the plan, to keep doing some more. All right. Um, Stefan, name the effing Jew. <laughs> See, I named a whole bunch of them in the Pittsburgh video, and people weren't happy then. All right. Let's see here. Uh, guys, he isn't required to answer anyone's questions. Yeah, that's kind of true, but I have the chat on for a reason, so. Let's see here. Um, someone says, thank you, sir. Link works and audio is louder than stream. Perfect. Okay. I don't know what's going on with the. I had to switch computers. My um, uh, regular webcam setup was just Windows said, sorry, just decided to not see your, your webcam. So I had to sort of switch computers on the fly. And um, I hope I've got, if the, if the audio is low, I've got a separate recorder, so. Uh, Michael Froelich says, damn it, Steph, you've got to warn me when you do this stuff. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, I don't know, with YouTube and so on, I'm not sure that all of the notifications are getting through the, the way that they should. So, uh, I, I did post it on, on um, Twitter. So, if you follow me on, follow me on Twitter, at Stefan Molyneux, then you can see that. Somebody says, um, why should anyone buy this guy's crappy book when it's clear how intellectually dishonest he is? <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Dude, saying it's clear doesn't actually make things clear. <laughs> you don't have a fresh air spell in downtown ah, Beijing. So it's clear. It's clear. It's clear. You know, make an argument or two, right? So. All right, let's see here. What do we got? Timak says, congrats for your book. 
you brought real value to me. Would you consider writing a book about your learnings, being a parent and raising a child? I certainly would. And I will. Um, I think that's, you know, it's funny. Well, tell me what you guys think. So I, I want to write a book called How, How to Get Along. How to Get Along. And um, it comes out of a conversation I had with a guy. And he was telling me that he'd had a big fight with his wife. He had a big fight with his wife because they're packing to go somewhere and she wanted him to pack and he had something else to do and she got nervous and upset that he wasn't packing and then they started yelling at each other and top of the lung stuff and so on. And I was like, what are you doing? Like, are you yelling at people at the top of your lungs? I mean, these are people you live with and love. What are you doing, right? And he's like, but, but, but we both felt very passionately about it. We were being authentic with our feelings. And it's like, oh. So there's a lot of misconceptions out there about emotions. And I've heard this kind of stuff from other people. Well, you know, I don't want to hide how I feel. And it's like, yeah, maybe you do. <laughs> maybe you do. So, um, yeah, I'd like to write a book. I know it would be a shorter book, just like basically how to get along, how to have conversations with people, how to have conflicts without escalations, how to have productive, you know, conflict can be incredibly beneficial to a relationship. Conflict can be wonderful for a relationship because you break new ground, you're pursuing new things and so on. Like when you do new things in life, you're kind of nervous, right? And so if you're never nervous, you end up bored and just you're repeating the same Groundhog Day over and over again. So, all right. Um, but yes, I definitely want to finish the book on parenting, but um, I have to do a lot of research into the science at the moment. Daniel Paul Grech Pereira says, Boris Levinson, quote, the intelligence of applicants for admission to Jewish day schools, source of the 115 IQ myth, myth the study itself says the results aren't applicable to the whole population yes uh, i have heard some of these uh, criticisms and i have not had time to to unpack it all um so i apologize for that but i'm going to pull it richard peterson says i apologize if you've already answered this but i'm curious if you'll be on joe rogan's podcast anytime soon he seemed awfully hostile the last time really did you (laughs) Did you get that sense at all? Reading between the lines. Uh, yes, he was uh, awfully hostile the last time. And uh, no, I do not imagine I'm going <laughs> I do not imagine I'm going to be on Joe Rogan's podcast anytime soon, uh, if at all. So 1972 Challenger says, Hey Steph, is there a chance Antifa is the culmination of people that no one will have sex with and all the rage is how it manifests itself? Hey, you know, there's a chance. There's a chance, but, you know, in my experience, leftists screw like bunnies. And it's, it's R-selected, right? If you want to do the R versus K selection stuff that I talked about in Gene Wars, which you got to get up to date on. You got to get up to speed on that stuff. But um, I remember being in Morocco. I was traveling with a friend of mine for Y2K. So this is 1999. We hired a driver who drove us through uh, Morocco. And we saw all of the sites. And it's a beautiful place. I remember wandering off the road when the driver stopped to pray. He's a Muslim, of course. And it was Ramadan, so he was telling me all about how during Ramadan you, you think of a beautiful woman and you think of water, and you prefer the water because you're so thirsty, right? And I remember wandering off the road while he was praying, climbing over a couple of hills into the desert and seeing just a town off in the distance, and I thought, man, that's really isolated. Because, <laughs> you know, if I'd just been born there, as opposed to where I was born, a whole different life, whole different world, whole different, you know, right? So, oh no, how did I get there? Ah, oh, yes, okay, so I remember being at a bar. This was the night before Y2K, so it's December 30th, 1999. 
And there was this woman who was fairly sexually aggressive, to be honest with you. And um, I was single at the time. And my friend had gone to bed early and we were I was up chatting with this woman and she was, you know, good to go. And then she started talking about communism. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sorry, you're not that pretty. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's that pretty. Because, uh, yeah, sleeping with socialists is, uh, is Russian roulette, man. They can, they can go pretty nuts. So, uh, and I've sort of seen that around. If you go to the leftists, um, there's a lot of sex in the leftist community. I mean, think of the hippies and the leftists and all. There's a lot of orgies, a lot of, and I'm not saying all, right? But, you know, there's uh, a lot of that stuff. It's, it's bad sex in general. Like, it's not satisfying sex. It's sex where people collide physically and, I guess, get some pathetic demirections and, and, you know, some squalid, sad little orgasms and so on. But it's not good sex. I mean, and I've, I just read about this relationships uh, uh, and uh, and so on. And if you look at uh, in John Gameshi's uh, stuff where he's talking about this guy who's accused of, of various bad things. And, uh, I mean, the sex all sounds terrible. So for the left... Sex is like junk food, right? It's just not good. You know, I guess maybe it tastes all right at the time, but it, it's unhealthy. You can get a lot of it, but the more you get of it, the worse it is, right? Whereas, you know, if you're not on the left, sex tends to be more like fine dining. Uh, it's great. So it is certainly possible, but I don't think that on the left, people don't have sex with these people because when it comes to sex, oh, you know, I shouldn't say that. When I, when I was younger, when it came to sex, there was someone for everyone, but now with all these females getting kind of nuts from Tinder and, and plenty of fish and stuff like that. They just got crazy notions of, of male attractiveness. No, my, and I talked about this with an ex-Antifa member that you can find in the video feed at youtube.com forward slash free domain radio or fdrpodcast.com. I did, I do have a theory. I'm fairly committed to it, though I can't say it's 100%. And the theory is very basically this. That leftist terrorism, leftist violence in general, comes from white knighting for your single moms who don't want the welfare benefits to stop. So the white mom, the, the, the single moms send out their kids to make sure that the benefits keep flowing. So, all right, let's see here. Brendan O'Flaherty, another Scottish person, I see, uh, sends in a sub support. Thank you, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. You know, just for the sake of that, let me put in. The links again, just in case you're new. My new book, Be Out. And uh, there is the audiobook, Come Midnight. Not three and a half hours from now or so, you will be able to get the book on Kindle for free. Right now, it's like real cheap, like 99 cents Canadian. I think something like that. But you will be able to get it for free, should that be something that you don't particularly... I mean, I just ask you, you know, if you like it, support the show. Be great. But... Um, uh, just if, if you don't want to support the show financially, fantastic. Well, not fantastic, but I can live with it. But if you could, um, you know, just share the share the book. Share the book. There's a link set up specifically for it. Uh, I'll put it in here as well. Oh, James, you're in, right? Do you mind? Oh, yeah, we can both put it in, right? It's fdrurl.com forward slash EP for Essential Philosophy. So fdrurl.com forward slash EP will get you to the right spot oh that's the right spot <laughs> uh brit porn it's the worst porn there is all right 
Uh, Maha Sattva, why do I know that name? Says, I'm a very successful artist. I'm a right-leaning libertarian. Most artists are liberal and not successful. Any correlation? Thanks. Yes. Well, of course, a lot of artists go to art school. And art schools are notoriously, notoriously leftist. So there's that. Also, artists who are not very successful tend to rely on welfare. Uh, They tend to rely on unemployment insurance. They tend to rely on government grants. They tend to rely on whatever it is, you name it, right? So they're really dependent on the state. If they have a lot of debts and not much, like a lot of student debts and not much capacity to pay for them, then they rely on, hopefully, the government. They want the government to ditch their debt and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I would imagine it has something to do with that. Um, And there are probably deeper reasons as well. But uh, I hope that uh, helps. And congratulations on your success. It is is tough to make it in the art world. So um, well done. And congratulations for that. Oh, right. Uh, let's see here. Kevin says, Stefan, is it, con- is it consequentialist if you do something that is immoral in order to have the effect of a greater adherence to morality, e.g. increased taxation for the wall for a net smaller government? Uh, no, it's not immoral. Uh, if your goal is, you know, sometimes you've got to take a deviation in order to get to your goal. Sometimes, like, Let's say you have a tooth that's never descended from when you were a kid and they didn't deal with it when you were a kid. You got to get it taken out. It's pretty painful. And, but the whole point is to prevent further pain down the road. So it's not consequentialist uh, at all to do that. All right. Um, give me just one split second here. I hate to jump away, but um, I forgot to plug in my notebook. Actually, yeah, I didn't. And I've got a plug here. So I just lost the chat. Hold on a sec. There you go. There's nothing like that professionalism in the live chat. When the guy steps away from the from the mic. All right, I'm uh, I'm very glad that the notebook didn't even say. I just checked the battery um, like 15 minutes ago, and it was half. So I thought I'd make it through to the end, but ah, Windows, <laughs> why why would you want why would you want that to, to happen in any way, shape, or form? All right, so. Let's see. Let me just zoom out a little bit here. I've got a, time for a couple more questions. And um, just as a reminder, if, if you go to uh, freedomainradio.com, you can get a link to the book, Come Midnight Tonight, which will, I guess, be the the time span between the 2nd and 3rd of November 2018. You will um, be able to get the book for free and read it on your Kindle. And uh, I will, I'm sure, get round to... Um, doing the hardcover uh, at some point. I, I know people like the, the physical book uh, and so on. So, But let's do a couple more questions, assuming that I can get, uh, <laughs> get back into this website. I shouldn't complain. Um, it's nice that there is this kind of interface. And uh, it's really, you know, it's a real pleasure to, to chat with you guys about this stuff. And listen, I mean, the people who are ragging on me and nagging on me uh, about the, the Jewish question and uh, about uh, all of this stuff to do with uh, my Pittsburgh video and so on, I appreciate that too. You know, I appreciate that you care about it. I really do. And I appreciate that you're passionate about it. But uh, again, you know, as someone who's pretty good at influencing people, I would strongly suggest that screaming abuse at people, probably not the way you want it to go. Oh, yeah, yeah. So a chair. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's, yeah. Sitting and smoking is a chair. So let me just, uh, just in case you want to know, you probably don't really care. 
So a um, couple weeks ago, actually more than a month ago, I was chasing my daughter down a hallway when I went to go give a speech in St. Louis, about six weeks ago. And I had a pair of brand new sneakers on and it was shiny tile in the hotel. And my foot just came down a split second too early. And you know, with sneakers and tile, it's like, you just stop. And I just lost my balance and I crashed into my knee. So uh, it's almost better. It's like 95% better. I, I miss, uh, I had a, the last time I had a knee injury was when I did a deep dive disco move when I was uh, um, 18 or 19. I was, I was in a disco and I did a big dance move and <laughs> went down and just didn't come back up again. But uh, yeah, then it healed fairly quickly. But one of the great things about aging is you get the slow motion healing machine going on. So uh, I am sitting and I have been sitting for the last couple of weeks just to keep the weight off my knee so that it gets all better. But, and I, I went to, I went to a physiotherapist. You guys ever had this? Oh yeah. I sound, I'm starting to sound like an old guy on my tooth and my knee, you know, but uh, have you ever done this? Have you had this really freaky thing where they did this um, electrical stimulation of your skin? It literally is like, you know, joyful fire ants crawling under your epidermis. It's pretty wild. So yeah, I know it's, uh, it's funny that, yeah, Mr. Sitting is the new smoking. Uh, is sitting, but uh, if it uh, if it helps at all with your outrage, uh, it's because I uh, I hurt my knee. I hurt my knee. Boomer running is never a good idea. Well, no, it's funny too because I don't I don't jog. Um, from from uh, the way that I do, I mean, I hike a lot, and, and the way that I do cardio is with a bike machine because cardio is really boring. Weights I don't mind so much because at least I can sort of push myself. Cardio is really boring, and at least if I'm if I'm doing a weight machine, I can you know play a little tablet game or or I can watch something uh, on on a computer or something. It's uh, it's rough. Uh, it's rough for sure. All right, let's just see here. See if I've got my touch screen back. Nope. All right, let's see what we have here. If I've got anything else here. I don't know. Sorry, um, I have a funky thing on my tablet where sometimes the uh, the touchscreen goes kind of haywire, like it's being fingered by all the ghosts in the known universe. So I'm having just a little trouble getting to the Super Chats, but hey, I will hang around for that for sure. Okay, let me just try closing, coming back into the browser. Just uh, t- type in all caps. Um, <laughs> type in all caps, and it'll work beautifully. All right, hang tight. I'll come back in. But, and also, you know, let me know what you think of the book. I, I assume you finished it by now. Wait, has this... Has this live stream gone on long enough? This is like some monster live stream from Steven Crowder or something like that. He does those, right? Like, they think I've seen him in pajamas. Or did I just dream that? Oh, hard to tell. All right, let's see here. Live streaming. There we go. I'm sure we'll be back. All right. I think we just zoom in a little bit here. See if my stream is back. I'm getting my funky dunky stuff. I have to have two internets for this. I mean, I, I, the video quality is much better. When I'm using a program called XSplit, but um, it's not particularly helpful uh, when it comes to uh, the chat. So, I mean, I think it just you can put it straight up on the screen and all that, but that's not precisely what I want to do. All right. Philip Fry says, would you define communism, socialism, and fascism? Seems a lot of people are throwing those words around without any clear meaning of their definition. Yeah, that's true. Was it Jonah Goldberg who wrote an entire book? Oh, no, Goldberg. Sorry. <laughs> the Titanic hit a Goldberg. But um, so uh, yeah, communism 
is uh, so re real easy, right? Not real easy, but this is the way I think that that makes the most sense. So uh, with communism, you have state ownership of the means of production. In other words, all of the major industrial centers uh, and, and everything which produces other things. Like you don't have state ownership of your toothbrush, but the factory that makes the, uh, that makes the toothbrush is owned by the state. Uh, the currency is owned by the state. Uh, the, the interest rates are set by the state. The, the um, means of production are organized according to central planning. So the government owns the means of production. Now, of course, the idea behind communism, it's that the proletariat end up controlling the government and it all works out hunky-dory and so on. But that's not what actually happens in, in reality. Now, in fascism, the government does not generally control the means of production but instead gives directives to it. In other words, we want war, and we're going to print a whole bunch of money, and then we're going to buy stuff from you. So the government allows some nominal free market operations, but remains an essential driver of economic demand. So there's, in a sense, it's a public slash private ownership of the corporation. The profits, there are no real profits in, social, in communism. There are profits in fascism, but the profits tend to be generated by state power, by state financed by state contracts and so on. So the government has a huge influence, but there are still some nominal private ownership mechanisms within a fascistic um, environment. Under socialism, in general, there is a mixture of public and private ownership of the means of production. Uh, if you look at uh, America's healthcare system, more than 50 cents on the dollar is spent by the government. The government has huge amounts of control you have to provide a certificate of need to open a new clinic, and the government controls the supply of doctors through licensing, and the government uh, you know, has, has the laws that say you have to go to the doctor to get your prescriptions, which only was around since after the Second World War and so on. So it's a mixed economy, and I'm not the first to observe it, and, and it's just far from an original idea, but generally, if you have a mixed economy, you drift towards full communism, you drift towards full fascism. And uh, so... That, that, I think, is important. So, so look at who owns the means of production. In communism, it's the state. In fascism, it tends to be private individuals, but they're heavily directed by the state. And in socialism, it tends to be a mix of public and private. So uh, that's uh, the way that I would define it. I hope that makes uh, sense to people. Uh, Hassoun, 83, says... What's your take on the Saudi state and the media frenzy around their alleged murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi? Longtime fan, please keep it up. So I've not looked hugely into that story because I don't care. I don't. I don't care. Uh, Saudi Arabia is a monstrous theocrat theocratic um, state. It is uh, a, a true agent of evil in the world. It. It stole its wealth from the West, right? So the West built all of these petrochemical plants and the West supplies, supplied the expertise. And then after the uh, particular England, after England was exhausted from the Second World War, the Saudis just went in and stole, nationalized or stole all of the stuff. And they have helped to finance a lot of terrorism. They've also helped finance environmentalist groups to keep the West from producing its own oil in order to maintain their own value. So because of theft and because of corruption and because of environmental funding, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars have flowed from the West into Saudi Arabia and other oil-producing countries, thus funding the spread of Wahhabism, which is one of the most uh, aggressive forms of Islam. It is 
horrible. I mean, the, the history is, is terrible. And again, the West is sort of funding its own destruction. And environmentalists, uh, to me, I, I, I won't even tell you what I'd like to do to them in my mind's eye, because um, the environmentalists who are just so sentimental about the snail darters and so on don't mind at all or seem to like the fact that because the West has been crippled from producing its own oil, although I know America has become energy independent, but because the West has been prevented largely through environmentalism from producing its own oil, trillions of dollars have been pouring into these horrible theocratic nightmare theological kingdoms like, uh, like uh, Iran, uh, earlier Iraq, although it wasn't a theological state, uh, Saudi Arabia and other places, uh, Turkey to some degree, and Venezuela, right? I mean, so this sentimentality around the environment has produced a completely brutal environment for all the people living under these horrible dictatorships where people get, what was it? I think the Pakistani high court just pushed back on a woman who was sentenced to death for insulting Islam or something like that. And no, it's monstrous. It's monstrous. Um, If the West had been allowed to develop its own oil reserves, if the West had been allowed to become energy independent, then it would not have need to send all of this money to these horrible kingdoms, which then turn around and use it to fund terrorism and and spread a very toxic uh, belief system. So, you know, the, the uh, and of course the media. I, I posted this on on Twitter, right? I mean, they're just proving the old Stalinist adage that a million deaths is a statistic, but a single death is a tragedy because yeah, some guy who was a columnist, wasn't even a reporter, who supported some pretty terrible people ended up being killed, uh, apparently, by the Saudis. There was this alleged murder, and they cut him up and sawed him into little bits, and I don't know what, right? But, you know, one, one mafia guy kills another mafia guy, and I'm supposed to get all kinds of morally outraged? I don't, I don't see it. I don't get it at all. And I really, really, I mean, I really dislike uh, this, this continual selling of arms to the Saudis. I mean, it's bloody mental. It's bloody mental. Um, I mean, everybody knows the Saudi involvement in 9-11 and all of that. So, All right, Nathaniel Wright says, finished Art of the Argument, brought up a lot of helpful points. Good, I'm glad you liked it. You can get at that at artoftheargument.com. Well worth uh, checking it out. Uh, Aaron Christensen says, looking forward to the new book, just like all the rest. Here's a little kick in addition to my usual monthly for all the great content. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate that. And I mean, I... I I thank you guys so much uh, for all the love, all the hate, all of the <clears throat> focus, intention, and interest that uh, comes uh, my way. It's um, I'm in a very <clears throat> excuse me I'm in a very privileged position, and it has so much to do with your support. I know I earn it, and I know I deserve it, and I'm happy for that. But um, thank you so much for all of your support. All right, a couple more questions. Um, seasoned. Well, this guy, man or woman, says, has he talked about the invasion knocking on our south borders yet? Yes. Um, <coughs> pardon me. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, I mean, weren't they shooting at, at Mexican police? And, and yeah, of course, they they, are, they have weapons. Uh, they are mostly young men. Uh, of course, it's an invasion. I mean, there's no, no, no doubt, no question about all of that. So, All right. We love you, Mal, and you. Thank you very much. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, Anderson Ribeiro says, Steph, how can I help you set up a better program for your live stream? XSplit sucks. OBS is the way to go. 
yeah, give me a give me an email. Um, I you know I if I have to learn another program, like I bought a new computer in the hopes of this all working better and uh, well problems with connections and so on. But uh, yeah, I uh, the idea of me like tears to me like to me I tell you I get a new computer and it's like countdown to the first blue screen of death. It's countdown to something not working. It's countdown to something not installing. It's countdown to something needing a reboot and then not anyway. So just wanted to mention that. Um, so I don't want to, you know, if this is kind of working and it seems all right, I don't know why XSplit sucks. I mean, I mean, this is not the very best camera, but you know, I think it's okay. The audio is all right. And uh, we're not dropping a lot of frames. Uh, I know that's a little bit of a stall. I think that's coming from my computer for reasons that, you know, I'm on a USB three camera and I'm on a USB, uh, three pro port. So it should all, all works. But, um, I, I mean, the idea that I'm going to be, uh, learning another program, <laughs> please, unless I have to. Favorite novelist? Uh, a lot of them are Russians. Uh, Ayn Rand is fantastic. Uh, Dostoevsky is fantastic. Turgenev can be a wonderful, and um, other plays of, of uh, uh, Chekhov are, are great as well. Depressing as hell. There's an old joke about Chekhov plays in the theater world. It goes something like this. Every Chekhov play you've ever heard, it has been 11 years since uh, Uncle Gregory died. No, no, it's been 12. Oh. No, no, you're right. It has been 12. And still, nothing has changed. <laughs> there you go. That's my every single checkoff play. Uh, Sergeant NPC says, It was the Jews in the Office of Special Plans that fabricated the Iraq War II and Jewish neoconservatives that pushed it. Wolfowitz is a war criminal. Well, I certainly agree about this a war criminal thing. So let's say they pushed it. Okay. Let's say, I don't know. Let's say they pushed it. Okay. Um, who was filled with the bloodlust who supported it? I mean, if you don't learn how to say no to the media and their eternal calls for war, it could be anybody who pushes it. I mean, so. Again, you've got to look at the demand, not so much at the supply. I friggin' love you, Stefan. Thank you very much. What if I'm thoroughly super indifferent to you, Steph? Do you still love me? Yes, that's the old joke says, but we're still going to see other people, right? All right, one or two more. These are kind of addictive. It's like, it's like popcorn. How can young people start a family and survive on one income in these times? You just go cheap, go cheap. I mean, in these times, you know, okay, so we're the second wealthiest generation in history after the boomers. Just, uh, just go cheap, you know, just go rent a place in the middle of nowhere, find a way to work online, just grow your own food, lots of things. Uh, Max says, thanks for... Um, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we just lost it. NVIDIA GeForce experience is reliable. Yeah, I got AMD with this one, uh, Radeon. It's good for... It's pretty good for um, uh, offloading the uh, compilation of videos problem because, you know, when I've got a background and I've got audio and I've got two videos, it could used to take a long time and it's pretty good uh, at uh, offloading the encoding problems. All right, here we go, here we go. Was Princess Diana assassinated? I don't believe so. Will you go to the public space or will JF come to your channel for the debate? I don't know. Again, I'll, I'll have to deal with that when I get back from Poland, so. All right, new AMD is quite good. All right. Uh, okay, last one. Would you consider it moral to conquer other countries based on the reasoning that the death count would be far less than have 
countries warring with each other for a long time. No. No, it's not. It's not moral. And I'll tell you why. Because war is a government program, just like immigration is a government program. And war is going to end up like Iraq, right? Which is uh, the, the best way for countries to improve is for the smartest people to have the most babies. I mean, I know that's not particularly philosophical, but it is insofar as it's empirical. If you want countries to improve, the smartest people need to have the most babies. And philosophy, you need to provide philosophy as much as possible. The government is going to go in and it's going to kill a bunch of people and it's going to destroy a bunch of stuff and then it's going to attempt to rebuild, but it's all going to be horribly corrupt and mismanaged and so on. And I mean, it's going to be that way. Say, ah, well, you know, but in the past, Germany was blown up and then there was reconstruction and then Japan was blown up and there was reconstruction. Uh, No, there really wasn't. The uh, German economy was recovering very fast because Germans are one of the smartest groups in Europe. And Japan, of course, a very, very smart group of people as a whole. And so what happened was um, totalitarian structures like Nazism and the emperor were destroyed and free markets were put in and that was what, what was needed. So, uh, But we don't have that philosophy anymore. The idea that you go into a country and you institute free market reforms, the government doesn't do that anymore. It's too full of leftists, it's too full of socialists, too full of communists. So no, I would not say that that is a particularly uh, good approach. So I think that's it. I think that's it. I think that's it. All right. So I'm going to put in one more time, if I can get to the rat spot. I'm going to put in one more time the links to... Oh, oh, one more person. Okay. Uh, What are your views on psychedelics like LSD and psilocybin and their potential beyond recreational use. Uh, Yeah, so as far as I understand it, there are some uh, valuable ways that that psychedelics can be used in terms of the treatment of PTSD and so on. I'm more for self-knowledge and I'm more for philosophy, but that doesn't mean that it's impossible um, for these other things to be be valuable for sure. So, all right. In my words, Rogan was a dick. I think he has one. So... I think that's it. Whoa, hour 46. How the time flies when you're with friends. So thank you. Oh, and oh, remember, oh, I forgot to mention too. Um, please remember that um, the movie Hoaxed is coming out. So hoaxedmovie.com, the movie Hoaxed. You can get the transcripts, which are pretty good. I gave a very long interview and uh, ended up with some smidgen of screen time. Here's the link to the video of the book. Uh, and you can uh, get it on on YouTube, of course. I'll put the link public uh, probably tomorrow once the um, the book is available for free. Um, you can go to uh, essentialphilosophy.com. Essentialphilosophy.com will relink you to the uh, Amazon page, and if you wait a couple of hours, you can get it for free. So um, I really, really appreciate that. I, I, I think I was... Steph, what is your IQ in Big Five? I've never had my IQ tested, and I don't really see the benefit. Uh, so let's say that I have a very high IQ, super high IQ. It's not an argument. Lots of people have very high, IQ, high IQs and, and say absolutely terrible things. Uh, let's say my IQ is not as high. Well, then people will say, well, then I can just, just, just evaluate my arguments. Forget about my IQ. Forget about your IQ. Just dedicate yourself to philosophy. And like, I don't weigh myself. I guess I used to get weighed when I go in for my cancer checkups. I don't weigh myself. I mean, I just try to eat right and exercise and and 
don't worry about these numbers. Just worry about the quality of what you're putting out there into the world. Uh, high IQ is not an argument. Low IQ is not an argument. I can't see any particular value in having my IQ tested. It's not going to make my arguments any better or any worse. So just evaluate the arguments. Thanks again, everyone, so much. A real pleasure to chat with you this evening. And um, oh, look at people coming in under the wire, under the wire. Okay, I'll read this one because Anderson... Ribeiro says, Real-Time Relationships is the greatest book I've ever read. Already read it three times. Thank you so much. Changed the way. I'll see things forever. Yeah, I got a lot of great old books out there that uh, I I wrote because I really wanted to get my thoughts down about this kind of stuff. Real-Time Relationships will do amazing things for your relationships as a whole in terms of honesty and authenticity and love and quality and all that kind of stuff. So, All right. Alan Watts, not uh, familiar with Alan Watts, uh, but I think I heard him droning on YouTube once. So, uh, everyone, thanks everyone so much. I, I got to pull back. I also got to eat. So, the crack of, of wonderful listener interactions, I must put back. Uh, I must uh, I must put, put back. So, uh, thanks everyone so much for a great, great evening of conversation. Please check out the new book. I'm, I'm hugely proud of it, hugely happy with it. And uh, you know, listen to the audiobook. I actually paid a Grammy-winning Grammy engineer to make the audio sound as creamy and buttery smooth as humanly possible. No pops, no hisses, no clicks, no nothing. So uh, thanks, everyone, so much. It's a real privilege to serve you, to serve philosophy, to serve the world and the future. So if you want to get the book, EssentialPhilosophy.com. You can also go to FDRURL.com forward slash EP, short, of course, for Extended Play, uh, Essential Philosophy. And uh, I look forward to your feedback on the book. Uh, You can share it. There's no race and IQ in it. Um, It's all just nice, essential, basic philosophical arguments. And I hope that it helps build certainty in your life. That's what we really need the most. If we we don't have certainty, we we really can't have anything else in the long run. So I hope that you will uh, check out the book. I hope that you will share it. I hope that you enjoy it, of course, right? It's a huge labor of love for me. I may never write anything like it again because I've never had this kind of um, concentrated smackdown of philosophical errors uh, in, in such a dense format. Dense is probably not the right word, but you know what I mean. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening. A great, great pleasure to chat, of course, as always. Uh, lots of love out there to everyone. Uh, thanks for your attention and time tonight, and I'll talk to you soon.